The information in this podcast is meant for the education of clinicians in rehabilitation. This is not meant for personal medical diagnosis and treatment, and individuals should always consult an appropriate medical practitioner. Hello and welcome to the APTA Neurology Section's Vestibular Special Interest Group podcast discussion on atypical BBPV. I'm your host, Pooja Agarwal, a physical therapist by profession with 25 years of clinical experience in a hospital setting. I'm very fortunate to be joined today by Dr. Janet Helminski, who will be discussing atypical BBPV and its biomechanics, apogeotropic nystagmus, differential diagnosis, and interventions. Dr. Janet Helminski is a professor of physical therapy at the Midwestern University and a physical therapist at the specialty clinic at the university. She received her PhD from Northwestern University's Institute of Neuroscience. Her clinical focus is treating atypical BPPV and uncompensated peripheral vestibular hypofunction. Dr. Helminski's current research includes differential diagnosis of atypical BPPV, acquired vertical diplopia, and acute vestibular syndrome in the emergency department. Welcome, Dr. Helminski. What a pleasure. Thank you. I'd like to thank the Vestibular Special Interest Group um, and uh, Pooja for inviting me to do this podcast. Welcome again. Positional downbeating nystagmus may be due to central vestibular dysfunction, anterior canal excitation, or a posterior canal inhibition. What tests would you use to identify positional downbeating nystagmus, Dr. Holmanski? Um, if you want to identify positional downbeating nystagmus, you need to use the Dix-Hall-Pike test. Um, and the Dix-Hall-Pike test is used to evaluate the vertical canals um, looking for both anterior canal and posterior canal BPPV. Um, and then based on the um, starting position and the end position, um, you hypothesize uh, where the location and the direction of the movement of the debris is within the canals um, based on the direction and the characteristics of the nystagmus. Okay. Do you recommend the use of Frenzel's lenses or video oculography? Definitely. Um, if you're evaluating anybody for BPPV, um, if you're evaluating them in room light, the individual can suppress their ocular nystagmus. So you have to use uh, frenzel lenses or video oculography um, so that they don't suppress the nystagmuses and you can see it. Um, and an uh, article came out by uh, Vini Nazarian in 2015 um, discussing differential diagnosis in the emergency room, and they recommend the use of um, uh, frenzel lenses and video oculography. I see. Would you recommend pre-medicating the patient prior to the test? Um, usually I don't pre-medicate people, but occasionally you'll get somebody who has problems with um, serious vomiting and if they do have issues with vomiting, um, then you want to make sure that you keep the person cool. So if they have sweaters, you take off the sweaters or you have them hold right. cold water bottles in their hands. Um, right. And if um, they do require medication, you want to give them something like Ondansetron or Zofran because um, it does not suppress ocular nystagmus. And if right. 
use an antihistamine like meclizine or a um, benzodiazepine like Valium, um, what can happen is it will it can suppress the ocular nystagmus if they have um, minimal to uh, moderate intensity of nystagmus. I see. So it would be best to use the odensitron. Correct. Okay. And um, if positional downbeating nystagmus is observed, what findings would suggest a central versus a peripheral vestibular structure involvement? Whenever you see downbeating nystagmus on positional testing, the first concern that you should have is whether or not it's central in origin. Um, and right. so that's why prior to positional testing, you always want to do a, uh, neuro, a thorough neuro screen and you want to do an ocular motor assessment. And what they've found is that um, if the person has an impaired pursuit system or they have um, associated auditory system, symptoms like a sudden onset of a unilateral hearing loss or any other associated neurological findings, it suggests that the peripheral downbeating nystagmus could be central in origin. Um, and if you look at uh, central downbeating nystagmus, um, it's usually induced in multiple planes. It's usually caused by inhibition of canals that are usually activated um, when you lay the person down. Um, and usually it starts out very intense and then um, gradually decays in response. And then the recommendation that the clinical um, the uh, uh, the uh, clinical practice guidelines have are that if a person um, doesn't get better with three sessions of the particle repositioning maneuver, um, that you should uh, consider possibly central involvement. Okay. And coming to the positional downbeating and its connection to the posterior canal in terms of inhibition. Correct. Um, so you can have uh, positional downbeating nystagmus that can be central in origin or it can be from uh, peripheral vestibular structures. And if it's from uh, peripheral vestibular structure, um, historically we always thought it was coming from the anterior canal um, and, and excitation of the anterior canal. We now think right. that it's coming from inhibition of the posterior canal. Um, and so if you uh, uh, think about it and kind of imagine this, and it's hard to do because you don't have a diagram, so I'm going to give you a, a silly analogy, is if you look at a teapot and you think of like um, Mrs. Potts and Beauty and the Beast, um, right. and you look at uh, the pot as being uh, the vestibule of the uh, utricle, and you look at the handle as being the posterior canal, um, and the handle is going to attach to the pot at the top and at the bottom. Um, and at the bottom of the pot, um, that would be like analogous to uh, where the ampulla is attach attaching in the posterior canal. Um, right. And so we standardly think of with typical geotrophic posterior canal BPPV um, that the rocks settle to the bottom of the pot. Um, mm -hmm. And at the bottom, they're, need, they're by the ampulla. And so mm -hmm. if you tip the pot back onto its side um, mm -hmm. so that the handle is uh, uh, perpendicular to the floor, um, mm -hmm. the rocks will settle. They'll move away from the bottom. 
um, mm-hmm. and they'll excite the nerve, and you'll get the typical upbeating and torsion towards the floor nystagmus that we all know when you do the Dix Hellpike maneuver. But if right. you have the pot sitting upright and the debris is stuck at the top where you have the attachment to the top of the pot, um, that would be analogous to where the anterior canal and the posterior canal come together to form the common cruise. And if the debris is stuck up there, if you take the teapot and you turn it 90 degrees and, again, um, put it on its side so that the handle's pointed down, the rocks will now move towards the ground. And when they move towards the ground, they're now moving towards the ampulla. Um, And what will happen is you'll get an inhibition. And when you get an inhibition, you get the opposite eye movement. So you'll get a downbeating and you'll get a torsion, which will be away from the involved ear. Um, And this is um, referred to as atypical or apogeotrophic um, BPPV. If you look at the anterior canal, with the anterior canal, um, the, uh, um, again, it, if, if you considered it to be the, the handle on a pot, the ampulla is located on the top. It's not located on the bottom. And the ampulla, um, where it's located on top, is very steep. It's at 70 degrees from the horizontal. So you have right. to tip really far back in order to get the rocks to move around in order to right. get excitation of the anterior canal. And when that happens, you get a downbeating nystagmus, and you can see no torsion in 50% or a very small amount of torsion based on um, the, uh, the, um, the location of the canal relative to the sagittal plane. Um, and so if you think about your canal physiology and you uh-huh. think about how the two sides of the head works together, that you know, normally we think of the right lateral canal working with the left lat- lateral canal. And we right. also look then at the vertical canals, and we look at how the left anterior and the right posterior canal work together, and how the right anterior and the left posterior canal work together. And so right. if we just look at the left anterior and the right posterior canal, if you excite the left anterior canal and you inhibit the left posterior canal, the direction of nystagmus is going to be identical. You're going to get a downbeating nystagmus and a left torsion. And what will be different is the amount of torsion that you have. If you have debris within the left anterior canal, Mm -hmm. you could see no torsion or a very small amount of torsion. And if you have it in the right posterior canal, again, because of where the posterior canal is in relationship to the sagittal plane, which actually closer to uh, the frontal than the sagittal plane, you'll see more torsion. Um, and a lot of times it's in, in, when you see that torsion, it's indicative of posterior and apogeotrophic posterior canal BPPV. Correct. So for us clinicians, when we're trying to decipher whether it's anterior or posterior, and if we're trying to identify the side of BPPV, is there a, is the deep hanging maneuver or the deep neck extension maneuver the ideal one to do? Um, that's a really good question. Uh, it's, I think it's difficult to differentiate anterior canal from posterior canal BPPV. Um, and I actually think that there is more um, 
atypical apogeotrophic posterior canal BPPV than there is anterior canal BPPV because there was a study that was done of um, 50 patients who had downbeating nystagmus with or without torsion in the Dixell Pike position. And of them, 40% were diagnosed with typical posterior canal BPPV either before or after the downbeating um, uh, with torsion was observed. So I think what that says is just like with lateral canal BPPV, where you can convert from a geotrophic to an apogeotrophic BPPV, I think the same thing can happen with the posterior canal, where it can convert from a um, typical geotrophic upbeating torsional nystagmus and then get stuck, and you'll end up seeing a downbeating um, and reversal of torsion um, away from um, the side. So if you look at the literature, uh, it's the, the thing that really is striking to me is these patients who come in with apogeotrophic posterior canal BPPV are very sick. Um, and they're very sick when they're up and they're moving around and they're walking. Um, and, you know, when we talk about head rotation um, and causing nausea, we usually think of that as being the lateral canal. And we always say that with the vertical canals, um, head rotation when they're up and walking usually doesn't bother them. It's the tipping their head back. But with these right. people, they're very different because it's sitting up on the top near the common cruise. It moves very easily and they get very ill and they tend to have a lot of autonomic sim- symptoms. Um, and right. so when they come in and they're complaining of, you know, the dizziness, uh, it, and it's a dizziness. It's not necessarily a true vertical lasting for three to five hours and being uh-huh. very nauseous and it bothering them when they're up and walking. I right away think of apogeotrophic posterior canal BPPV. And when you're doing the Dixell Pike test with apogeotrophic posterior canal BPPV or atypical BPPV, um, you can evoke an astagmus in either one position or both positions of the Dixell Pike. And only uh-huh. 75% of the time you'll see it in the straight head hanging position. So I had a woman this week who had no doubt apogeotrophic, um, atypical posterior canal BPPV. The first uh-huh. time I tested her with the straight head hanging position, I saw nothing. I then uh-huh. decided to, to treat her um, with neck extension in a straight head hanging position. And the uh-huh. second and the third time I then saw the downbeating nystagmus. And so it's very variable because it's stuck up on the top. If you have right. anterior canal BPPV, you're going to see um, the downbeating nystagmus in both positions of the Dixell Pike in the head right and in the head left. And it's mm-hmm. very sensitive to the straight head hanging position. So you may not see the downbeating nystagmus in the head right and head left position, but you'll always see it in the straight head hanging position. So anytime you're testing somebody with the Dixell Pike position, you always test head right and head left. And if you don't see anything, you sit them back up. After you do the head right position, you sit up. Head left position, you sit up. Then you take them straight back. You test them, and you may or may not see a downbeating nystagmus. If you, when we're talking about characteristics of the nystagmus, if you have atypical apotrophic posterior canal BPPV, you can have a strong torsion that will be away from the involved ear. So mm-hmm. if I'm in the head right position, the, tor- the left torsion 
um, you'll see with down or you can see no torsion, which is what makes it tricky. Um, right. With anterior canal BPPV, in both the head right and the head left position, the direction of the torsion will always be towards the ear that's involved. So if you're in the head right position and you see a right torsion, it's the right ear that's involved. And if you're in the head left position and you see the right torsion, it's the right ear involved, or it could be no torsion. But in my practice, what I tend to see is if there's a strong torsion, it's apogeotrophic posterior canal BPPV. If you see no torsion, it could be either one. If you see a hair of a torsion, it's probably anterior canal um, BPPV. I see. And then you get, um, and when you, the other thing that makes it tough is when they sit up, uh-huh. you normally, with typical geotropic posterior canal BPPV, see a reversal due to inhibition. With apogeotrophic BPPV, you could see anything. It could be absent. It could be present, and it doesn't reverse direction, which is contrary to what we've always learned relative to central paroxysmal positional nystagmus. Or it can reverse direction, and if it reverses direction, it's of greater intensity because you're now exciting the nerve instead of inhibiting the nerve. And with anterior canal BPPV, it's always absent. I see. So that would be a good way to differentiate if it's anterior canal versus posterior, or rather one of the ways to differentiate. Um, it's, it, you, you can't really differentiate it that way because both of them, it can be absent. But if you, if you see something when you come up, the probability yeah. of it being apogeotrophic posterior canal BPPV is greater. I see. And then you also um, recommend treating the posterior canal atypical apogeotropic with the demisamand? Um, well, it depends. Um, what I like to do, I, I think it's very difficult to differentiate between apogeotropic posterior canal BPPV and anterior canal BPPV. And so what I like to do is I like to start out by bringing them into neck extension, into the straight head hanging position. Um, okay. And it's suggested that you put their head like 60 degrees below the horizontal um, mm-hmm. so that if it's anterior canal BPPV, you can get the debris to move from the top around the ring where the ampulla is at, almost at a horizontal. So you have to get them really far back, as far back as you can. Um, right. And if it's apogeotrophic posterior canal BPPV or atypical posterior canal BPPV, what you actually are trying to do is you're trying to convert it from being at the top to being at the bottom of the posterior canal. So you're trying to convert it from an nystagmus, which is apogeotrophic, to geotrophic. And then right. if you can convert it to a typical posterior canal BPPV, you can just clean it out with an Epley or a canal of three positioning procedure. Um, right. And so what's really nice about it is you start your treatment for apogeotropic posterior canal BPPV and anterior canal BPPV the same. You put them back right. into the extension. Um, and the other thing is, is if you look at um, uh, Yarkovino's work, um, when you bring the, when you go back into um, neck extension, and then when you bring it up and the neck goes into 30 degrees of flexion, a lot of times he would get a dump into the posterior canal. 
Well, I don't mm-hmm. think he was dumping from the anterior canal to the posterior canal. I think what he was doing is he was converting it from an apogeotrophic posterior canal, BPPV, to a geotrophic posterior canal, BPPV. So it was going from the non-ampullary to the ampullary segment. Mm-hmm. And then if you think it's apogeotrophic posterior canal, BPPV, or atypical posterior canal, BPPV, and you bring them down into straight head hanging position, and you don't change the nystagmus, you don't change it from downbeating to upbeating. Um, and uh, what I would, uh, what you could do is you can do a normal Epley maneuver if you can, uh-huh. um, and uh, because it doesn't matter where in the long arm of the canal the debris is as long as you're moving it when it's going through. So you could do a standard Epley or Canal 3 positioning procedure. Um, and if that doesn't work, what's recommended is what's called a demi-semant. And with right. a demi-semant, it's exactly what it sounds like, where you have the per- person sitting upright, you turn their head 45 degrees towards the uninvolved side, and then you have them lay down on their uninvolved slide, and you move them down slowly, because if you move them down you'll make them ill and then you maintain that position for um, one to two minutes and then what you do is you rapidly sit them back up and basically what you're trying to do is you're trying to pop the debris out of the top segment um, and um, um, move it down and so then that's the next thing that you could do Um, if you had anterior canal BPPV and you tried the straight head hanging position, you tried putting them back into 60 degrees of neck extension, and it didn't work, what you would then do is a forward canal three positioning procedure for the anterior canal. Um, And uh, that was first described by uh, Felden and Bronstein. Um, And it's very, very similar to the anterior canal, except it's done um, on the stomach, and then you end up rolling over onto the back um, so that you clear the anterior canal. I see. So would it be accurate to say that we need to first get into at least a 60-degree neck extension position before we try the forward maneuver for anterior canal? Yeah, I I always get very concerned when I'm doing the uh, forward maneuver for the anterior canal because I always worry about hurting somebody's neck and whether or not they have adequate range. Um, right. And then with older people, I always worry about whether or not they can come back into the 60 degrees of extension. So if right. they have problems getting into that position, what I'll do is, you know, I'll use like a tumble form wedge um, and I'll reverse it so that the thick part is by their butt and the thin part is by their head to give them a little bit more of extension um, and, and, or um, trying to do an uh, invert the bed um, for an inverts Trendelenburg to try to get it. But um, if you look at the older literature, when they were first talking about treating anterior canal BPPV, they were doing reverse um, epilies and they were doing uh, uh, reverse semants. And I think what they were really doing is they were treating um, atypical apogeotrophic posterior canal BPPV, and we didn't realize it. And, you know, if you, if you look at the demi-semant, um, 
you know, that would make sense in terms of why it is that it was working when we were doing modifying the epilene and modifying the smolts for the anterior canal. So right. if I have an older person who can't get into the forward roll or the extreme extension, I'll then try doing some of the reversal stuff. Okay. Remember. Okay. And um, would you recommend any specific precautions when treating patients who could have more autonomic symptoms, especially with the atypical apogeotropic? Yes. So um, my experience has been is these people are very nosogenic. And so um, if you look at the modeling work that has been done, speed does not matter. What matters is length of time in the position. And so um, there's actually a uh, a role that really is a a quick epilene maneuver that's uh, recommended for treating um, uh, atypical posterior canal BPPV. I do not do it because I think they're too ill to do it, and I'm afraid that if I would do it quickly, they would end up um, vomiting. Um, And so I just do a slow um, uh, epile or canal three positioning procedure and maintain the positions for longer periods of time. And they tend to do very well with that when you do it slowly. And the same thing with the demi-samant. I've had people who weren't thinking and quickly lied down. And when they lied down, they became very nauseous. And so you really have to move slowly with them and then like I said, when you come from the demi and you're going to um, sit up, and that's when you do it quickly because you're trying to pop it. So I think you need to, to look at speed of movement. Um, the other thing that I know that uh, the um, uh, practice guidelines recommend that we do not do or it's not necessary to do activity restrictions. When I have right. somebody who is really ill um, and somebody like this, I will do activity restrictions with them in terms of having them sleep slightly elevated at like a 30 degree angle and try to have them avoid sleeping on the um, uh, involved side. Um, And because I'm trying to relieve their symptoms because they are so nosogenic, Um, but I never put them in a collar and, um, you know, I'll have them avoid a lot of up and down movements of the head. But aside from that, I'm usually pretty good. The other thing that I've been having a lot of issues with in the clinic lately is people who are using two computer screens at work. So uh-huh. they might be an accountant who's doing a lot of working with numbers and they're looking in between the two screens. And when they have um, uh, atypical posterior canal BPPV, they will really get sick working in between two computer screens. So that might be something you might want to watch out for. I see. Would you um, also agree that a lot of the apogeotropic, the atypical posterior canal BPPV gets missed because we're so focused on the anterior canal with every downbeat we see? Well, I think there are two things. I think that there is more atypical apogeotrophic posterior canal BPPV than we realize because I think a lot of people are not necessarily using goggles and they're not necessarily seeing the nystagmus. And um, uh, usually with fixation, you can cancel vertical 
movement, but you can't cancel the torsion. So they might not be realizing that there's downbeating there um, uh, when they're evaluating them. So I think we're missing them because of that. Um, And then I think that I, I used to believe, like if you asked me like two years ago, I would say that, um, I was seeing a lot of patients who had anterior canal BPPV. I now realize that um, I was mistaken, and I think the majority of them are this atypical apogeotrophic posterior canal BPPV. Um, it's right. very tricky to get rid of, um, but if you see somebody who I always refer to them as having slippery rocks where they respond really well to the maneuvers and sometimes too well to the maneuvers, um, it's very apparent that um, it has to be up in that top non-ampullary segment. And when I first started doing um, the home epilase, the self-administered epilase, I was getting a lot of patients who, after they were doing it at home, they would come in and they would have a downbeating nystagmus. And I think what was happening was when they were rolling onto their side, the head was positioned down and they were, you know, um, you know, 45 degrees down, and then their neck was in a little bit of side bending down. Mm-hmm. I think what was happening was the rocks were getting jammed up on the top, and they were developing this apogeotrophic posterior canal or atypical posterior canal BPPV. Um, right. Then, based on uh, Rabbit and Rajguru's work, um, I started elevating the head slightly from a sideline position, and I no longer see that. So, like I said, I think it's out there and I think that we're not looking for it and we're not aware of it. Okay. And would you also um, think that the chances of reoccurrence of this particular kind of BPPV are equal to what we normally say about 30 to 33% in uh, uh, patients who've had BPPV before? Yes. I think that um, you do tend to see recurrence. Uh, I have, of of um, atypical posterior canal BPPV, uh, I think a lot of people um, assume that the canals are these nice, clean tubes um, right. that are smooth, um, and they think that the rocks are nice, smooth pebbles. Right. And I think that um, we forget that they have constrictions and expansions. Um, and one of the things that I, I found fascinating in, in talking with um, Dr. Rabbit at the International Vestibular Conference was he was talking about how um, the location of the cupula within the ampulla is variable and how he has been in some ampullas where they actually have two cupulas and not one um, and how this debris isn't just the calcium carbonate crystals but it can be actually part of the macula and it can be, you know, hair cells and, and fibers and that kind of stuff. So I think if somebody has a um, variant in the alignment of their canal, or if they have a constriction in their canal, or if they have um, a clot of, of, of debris that they tend to be more prone to, that then they, they will more, um, you know, when they recur, they have a greater chance of recurring with this atypical posterior canal PPPV. Right, right. Well, 
this has been extremely helpful and very, very educational, especially because as clinicians, we do tend to, we have at least tended to believe that downbeating nystagmus is almost always anterior canal. And now we know that we need to also think about the atypical apogeotropic posterior canal from the inhibition. Any other pearls of wisdom that you would want to impart to us? No, the only thing I can say is if you if you see downbeating with strong torsion, think the posterior canal and think inhibition of the posterior canal. And then the last comment that I have is um, I want to really think, thank the uh, Academy of, the, of uh, Neurological Physical Therapy because um, they sponsored the International vestibular conference that was held in August of 2018. And it was an amazing conference. And um, they also paid for the special supplement of the uh, Journal of Neurophysical Therapy that came out in August. And if you're interested in learning more about um, atypical apogeotrophic posterior canal BPPV and what the differences are between it and anterior canal and um, central uh, paroxysmal positional nystagmus. Um, I wrote an article that was published in uh, the uh, April 2019, which also has videotapes of two patients, and you can take a look at it and see what you think. Yes, that's very fortunate. We actually have um, gotten copies, and we've... Um uh, we're very fortunate to be able to go through the entire research and to process everything that's changing in the world of BBPV to better educate ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. And this has been a phenomenal learning experience, and I deeply thank you for your time. Thank you very much, Dr. Helminski, for letting us thank do you. this. Thank, thank you. Thank you again. Sure, thank you.